been looking at the unchanging nature of God and the unchanging benefits of following after him. And they are many. That's the journey we've been taking through the Advent. When you follow after God, when you know Jesus, you can experience an unchanging hope. And, and so you can sing as we do in our church, all my hope is in Jesus. When you follow after God, when you know Jesus, you can experience a, a never-ending faith. And, and so you can say, even when the difficulties come, my faith is in Jesus. And when you follow after God, when you know Jesus, you can say, as we found last week, there is unceasing joy. So I, I want to remind you of that phrase, don't be afraid choose joy. Let's say that together. Don't be afraid. Choose joy. I wonder if you did like I did and you set some joy alarms this week at 210 so, so you could choose joy each and every day. I, I think that'll make a difference. I pray you continue to choose joy. Remember what joy is according to that great definition from Miss Kay Warren. It's the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Oh, dear friends, choose joy. I've spent my life around church folks like us, and too often, even those who profess to know Jesus Christ don't seem to possess his joy. But there's another struggle that seems to be common among professing Christians, and that is a lack of peace. Different things, the things around us, the circumstances of a life have come in and robbed us too often of the peace that God intends for us. And so today we talk about peace. It's been my experience that on a lot of occasions people look for peace in the wrong places. We look to our governments or to elected officials to bring peace and all you have to do is recognize that the world is filled with wars, literal and figurative, and you realize that that's not the answer. Surprisingly, we look to broken people like ourselves, other relationships for peace, and if that's all we're doing, that rarely works out. And then way too often, as a result of our hurts, our habits, hang-ups in our life, we try to self-medicate and cover our lack of peace with food or drugs, or alcohol, and that never brings lasting peace. 
In fact, today there's one truth that I, I want you to understand. I'm going to say this a bunch, so here it is. Get it. Scripture teaches us uh, that the source of peace is, is not a pill or a program or a philosophy. The source of peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. Isn't that a great truth? When I was growing up, uh, everybody had bumper stickers. And I remember seeing the bumper sticker that said, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And that seems like an oversimplification, but I, I found that to be true. It's a scriptural principle. It expresses what we're trying to understand. Remember that scripture teaches us that the source of peace is not a pill or a program or a philosophy, but the source of peace is a person and his name is Jesus. So here's the question. Do you know Jesus? Not just an intellectual knowledge of who he is. That's nice, but frankly can be meaningless. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus in a way that it has personally impacted your life, that his life has intersected with your life, and as a result, you not only know him, but you know the peace that he offers. That's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I want to pray for all of us once more. So here we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, give us peace. In every way we need it that we don't have. Teach us about peace. In, in every way we need to learn it that we don't know. And make us peacemakers. For your glory. Our world is full of strife and tension and war and disunity. Lord, may we be known as people of peace. Begin in me. And Lord, in this moment, may thou, my words reflect your peace and may my thoughts reflect your peace because they are of you and and Lord may you use those words and those thoughts even to introduce someone today for the first time to you Jesus the Prince of Peace Lord change us because we've met here and we ask this in Jesus name amen I want to take your copy of God's Word and, and turn to the book of Micah. And it's important that you follow along because you, you need to see this is not me making this stuff up. This is found in the Bible. And, and His Word is, is lasting and true and impacting in our lives. So we're going to be in Micah chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And, and I would strongly encourage you to find something to write with, whether that's a pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, your thumbs on your device, and, and something to write on because I, I really believe there's going to be some practical help for us as we dive into the scriptures. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. Now, what's the context before we go any further? Micah is a prophet. You know what a prophet is in the Old Testament? It's someone who speaks the truth of God. The prophets would stand up to the people of, of God, the children of Israel, and, and they would say, thus saith the Lord. And it was powerful. It was impacting. And then the people would choose whether or not they're going to follow it. Just a side note, I, I think in churches and in places like these, and we need more prophets today that stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, that, that 
proclaim the truth of Scripture and remind us what we've been talking about for several months, that what we do should not be based on how we feel about something, because our feelings can go up and down based on the day and life circumstances. What we do and how we live should be based on what we believe, and what we believe should be found in God's Word, what He has already told us. So Micah was a prophet. He was a contemporary of a real famous prophet, Isaiah, one of those large books in the Bible that speak of the coming of Christ. But he did the same thing Isaiah did, and every prophet did. They often talked about the coming judgment of God. And I need to remind you that while we're coming to celebrate Jesus as the Savior and the hope of the world, the one who forgives us of our sins, God is still a God of judgment. One day, everybody will stand and answer to whether or not they've begun that relationship that God's made possible through Jesus Christ that allows for the forgiveness of sins. And if that's not taking place, God's judgment will be enacted, which means there will be punishment for that sin. And whoever that is will be separated from God forever. And so in those days, the prophets would come and they would talk about the coming judgment. And it may be like a verse we just read, verse 1 of chapter 5, or or most all of the verses before chapter 5 in Micah. And, And this is the summary of that. The Babylonians and the Assyrians, they're coming and they are going to kick your rear end. I mean, it's going to be bad. And, and so that's what you see in verse 1. But the prophets would always weave in a future hope. And God does that consistently. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't leave us without hope? If you're a part of any Bible study or church ever and all you hear about is the judgment or the anger of of God and it doesn't lead you to the hope of God that comes through Jesus, then find another place to listen to God's word because they're leaving out the most important part. And Micah comes to the part of his story where he tells us about that hope. Listen to what he says in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you're only a small village among the people of Judah. And again, I have to stop because that verse, it really encourages me and it gives me a reminder. And here's the reminder. Our God specializes in doing great things from unexpected and sometimes even small places. Do you ever feel like a nobody from nowhere? You ever wonder if if God could use you, if you could make a difference in the world? If there's any value in your life? Oh, this is a reminder that that's what God specializes in. Because it would have made much more sense if God would have said, "Uh, Oh, you, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem had become a great city. Or, Or even better still, oh, you, Rome. Rome was the center of the world. But no, he he chose a little village, a small town, a place that wasn't on the map, but it was his plan. And by the way, his plan was consistent with what he had said all along. Since David, he had said that the line of David would be the one who would bring forth the hope and the king. So I'm going to remind you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your background, God may want to do something big in your life. Are you open to his plan or have you settled? Have you settled for what you can do? You know, in our society, we have this mantra, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that may sound good, but that's not going to get you where God wants to take you. 
One of the problems of people who have followed God throughout history is that they're tempted to settle for good or even better. And that sometimes causes us to miss out on God's best. Are you pursuing God's best? Have, have you put your yes on a table in such a way that you would say, God, I want what you want for me. You never know what he's got planned from little old you. And I feel that way about our church. You know, we're not a mega church, but God has chosen to bring a mega amount of nations to our church. He's given us a, a unique makeup. We come from all over the world. And it, it strikes me, what if God would, would use this church that's really in, centered in, in this little city in the midst of Tampa, a metropolitan area, and what if he would use us to touch the nations for his glory? That's my prayer. That's why I hope you're a part of this body. That's what I'm praying for our future. Let's continue. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Now, who do you think it's talking about? Going to be born in Bethlehem and going to be a, a ruler and he's been around from the beginning. Who's he talking about, church? Jesus. You got it right. The reality is this is my opportunity for an annual reminder. You, you do understand Jesus did not just show up on the pages of the New Testament. He, he's not God Jr. that just appeared. No, Scripture teaches that Jesus has been around all along, from the beginning. Or as this passage says, from the origin of time. And other passages say, from the ancient of days. Scripture talks about it again and again. Listen to one example from Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Don't forget what Hebrews teaches us about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's our eternal God. He's our everlasting God. And that makes a difference. It makes a difference in this subject. Because if Jesus is just not our present God, if he is our eternal God, that means he can give us not just present peace, he can give us eternal peace. And all of that is what this passage is going to describe. That's who God is. Let's continue. The, the people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies under the, until the woman in labor gives birth. So the judgment is coming it's going to be bad. And then there's going to be a birth. And then at last, the fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead the flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then the people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. That's our main verse. Did you catch that? The first part of verse 5. Look at it again. And he will be the source of peace. Let's say that together. And he will be the source of peace. The one who comes from Bethlehem. The one who is going to be the ruler. The everlasting ruler. He will be the source of peace. What have I been saying? Scripture teaches us that the source of peace is not a pill, nor a program, nor a philosophy. The source of peace is a person and his name is Jesus. The scripture has a lot to say about peace. Uh, like our lives, when you look in the world, it's not too hard to find a lack of peace. You find that in scripture too. Um, 
Sometimes I hear people say, well, I feel like Job. And I hear that from the gamut. I mean, sometimes they just had a flat tire. I feel like Job. But there's some people, I've got friends, I even have folks in my family that are just like, come on, Lord, how about a break? You know, they just seem to, everything does seem to be difficult for them. And it's a little more understandable when that kind of person says, man, I feel like Job everywhere I turn around. Think, no, I haven't ever met anybody that had it as bad as Job, just to tell you. But notice what Job says in chapter 3 and verse 26. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Now, don't raise your hands, but I bet most of us would say we felt like that somewhere along the way. I just don't have peace. Maybe it's because of a relationship in your life, someone that you're not at peace with. Maybe it's because of circumstances. You just are constantly in agony and stress and anxiety and worry. Maybe it's, maybe it's completely spiritual. Maybe that's how you feel today. If so, Scripture offers us the help, remember? And He will be the source of peace. So who is He? Who is He, church? He's the one Isaiah was also prophesying about. Listen to this. For a child is born to us, a sign is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. And this is the same he that the angels are talking about when they appeared in Luke 2, and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The message of Christmas is that Jesus is your source of peace. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the one the prophet Micah is describing as the coming ruler, and he's the only source of true and lasting peace. So we come back to that question. Is Jesus the ruler in your life today? Because... If we're struggling with peace, what we're implying is there's at least an area of our life we're not allowing him to rule. I've come to realize this throughout my journey of life. Whoever or whatever rules your life, that's what will determine whether or not you have peace. Let me illustrate that. If your family rules your life, Think about my family. If my family rules my life, what would you say about my family? Well, hopefully you'd say, oh, you have a beautiful family, and I do. You might say, you have a talented family, and I do. You might say, your family seems to get along, and we do. But you know how else you could describe us? You could say, you have a sinful family, and we are. And by the way, and you are. And so my family's made up of sinners. So if I'm looking to just my family for my peace, guess what? I'm going to be messed up. Some of you are all into your career or all into your education. And if that's going to be your source of peace, you're in trouble. Some of you looked at what you can possess, your, your pile, the things you gain, and especially at times like this, you spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. 
And then you wonder why you don't have peace. You, know, you can look at your bank account. Does that give you peace? Well, it may on one day. But it's not lasting peace, is it? What's your source of peace? Do you have peace? What is peace? In Scripture, that word, we find it hundreds of times. And in the Old Testament, it's always that, that familiar word, shalom. Say shalom. Yeah, I love that. I remember the first time I went to Israel and my parents were with me and we took them to this shop. And, and there in the shop, there was a little tile plate. And, and we're from South Carolina. If I know with my accent, you probably assumed I was from New York, but I, I'm from South Carolina. And, and there was a plaque that said, shalom, y'all. <laughs> I love that. Well, Salaam means much more than just that feeling of peace. Salaam, shalom means total welfare in every area of your life. And really, Tim Keller describes this well in his book, Generous Justice. He writes, Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. And then that makes sense because... Uh, Scripture teaches us that there are three kinds of peace that cover everything about us. For example, there is spiritual peace. And then there's emotional peace. And then there's relational peace. And, and Scripture talks about eternal peace. And then it talks about internal peace. And external peace. And it talks about peace with God. And then it talks about the peace of God. And then it talks about peace with others. And all of these are encompassed in that word that we have. Even in Micah chapter 5, he will be the source of shalom, of total peace in your life. So whether you need financial peace or, or whether you need marital and relational peace or, or, or whether you need uh, corporate peace, whatever you're looking for, he is the source. I want to give you three truths before we wrap this up about our source of peace, our ruler, King Jesus. When Jesus rules your heart, first of all, you have peace with God. Say peace with God. That's your eternal are your spiritual peace. Now, that begs a question. Some of you are saying, hey, I'm all right. Why do I need peace with God? Let me tell you some bad news. When you were born, you were not born at peace with God. You just weren't. Because the Bible says all of us are born as sinners. And we're not sinners because of something we've done, though it doesn't take long even as a baby to start doing the wrong thing. We're sinners because that's just who we are. It's like a birthmark. It's, it's something we're stained or scarred with. That's the way we're created. And the Bible teaches that that sinfulness puts us at war with a holy God. Because holiness and sin can't be in the same room. They certainly can't be in the same life and everything be okay. Right? So it literally says we're his enemy. We're at enmity with God. And so we do not have peace with God. We need peace with God. Because we do not have peace with God, one day that sinfulness, if it's left undealt with, will be punished. 
And the Bible even tells us what that looks like. It calls it death. And that punishment called death is in a place called hell. And it place, takes place forever. And, and the Bible teaches us that when we're punished for our sinfulness in that place called hell, we're separated from God forever. But that's not his desire. God's desire is that you be united with him in fellowship forever in a place called heaven and so that's why in one of my favorite verses, it says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us and that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The, the baby that would be born in Bethlehem grows up to, to be a perfect man, that man recognizing as God that somebody's going to have to pay for our sin, someone's going to have to take the punishment. He dies on a cross as punishment for our sin. He offers us forgiveness and we simply have to receive the gift. And when we do, we get peace with God. That's described in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, notice this, we have peace with God. Why? Because we're a good person and because we went to church even when the World Cup was on and because we put something in the offering. No, no. We have peace with God not based on anything we've done. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you've been, how religious you are, how many rituals you perform. Your peace with God is because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Isn't that good news? That means everybody can have peace with God. You say, how do I know if I'm still at war with God? Well, there are some signs of war. Just on Friday this week, I spent some time with my friend from Ukraine, Matthias, and um, he's, he's got an alarm on his phone. My friends in Israel have the same kind of alarm, and they get notifications when missiles are coming in. And those missile attacks that are just constant right now in Ukraine from Russia, they're signs of war. Well, they're signs of war in your life if you're at war with God. Irritability, quick temper, insecurity, impatience, arrogance, boasting, manipulation, those are all signs of war, but don't just listen to me. Those are described in Galatians in chapter 5. It, it calls it the works of the flesh. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, je jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild party, and other sins like these. So just asking, are you at war with God? What does it look like when you have peace with God? Well, the Bible calls that the fruit of the Spirit. And it's in this same passage. It says the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I pray that you're at peace with God. And if not, I pray that this day you understand what Jesus did on your behalf so that you could have peace and I pray that you receive the gift of peace that he makes available by trusting in him. That's peace with God. But there's a second truth. When Jesus rules your heart, you experience the peace of God. Now tune in because this is where a lot of you are, are missing today. This is that internal or emotional peace. This is a piece that's described in, in what my mom's told me is her favorite verse, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace 
all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Don't you want to live in perfect peace? How do I do that? Well, I I focus on him. Maybe you've heard the serenity prayer. But have you heard all of it? You, You know this first part. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But a lot of people stop there. That's not the end, is it, Jonathan? No, it says living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, but trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. That's by Reinhold Niebuhr, Serenity Prayer. That's what Paul's talking about in Colossians 3 and verse 15 when he says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Remember, he's the ruler. The question is, is Jesus ruling in your heart so that you experience the peace of God? As we yield to the rule of Jesus, he gives us peace. 2 Thessalonians says that too. Now may the Lord of peace, the one who's ruling, the Lord, the king, may the one of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. Jesus talked about this in John 14. Now we remember John 14. You hear it a lot at funerals. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you. But it is so. So I'm going to prepare one for you. And then later in that discourse, Jesus says this. While you're waiting, I'm going to leave you peace. But not peace as the world gives. I'm going to leave you my peace. Now think about, what's the difference? Well, when the world gives peace, it always ends. You know, if if Ukraine and Russia, if if they resolve and have a a, a settlement of peace, guess what? Somewhere down the road, it'll probably break down. Seems like it always has. Better example is, is Israel, the state of Israel. And you know how many peace treaties have taken place in the last 70 plus years in Israel alone? Peace for a moment, and then it breaks down. That's what I was talking about with your bank account or or with your retirement account. One day it may look good and it may give you peace. And then the next day you're like, holy cow, what am I going to do? But he gives us different peace. Everlasting peace. And it comes from him. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, God cannot give us happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The only true and lasting peace comes from Jesus. Are you looking to Jesus? We sing a song that kind of says we are. We sing a lot of songs that says we are. But I love this one. It says, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. The fountain I drink from. Be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life. Be the wind inside my cells. The anchor in the waves. Be the fire inside my veins. The echo of my days. He's never going to let me down. He's never going to let me down. Oh, he is good. He is good. He is so good. But too often, the king of our heart is not the mountain we run to. He's not the fountain we drink from. He's not the shadow we hide in. He's not the ransom we pay. He's not the wind that makes us go. He's not the anchor in our waves. He's not the fire in our veins. He's not the echo of our days. But friends, in those moments, it's not him that's let us down. 
Like the old hymn says, we're the one that have failed to turn to him. You remember these words if you've been in church a while. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not take it. What? To the Lord in prayer. Yeah. So what is that talking about? Well, that brings us to those verses I quote. It feels like every week because I just want you to know them. It comes from Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. So what's the opposite of peace? Anxiety, stress, worry, tension. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer with supplication. So asking with thanksgiving, expecting God to answer. Make your request known to God. And then listen to what it says. And the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and mind. How? Through Christ Jesus. Why? He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the source of peace. He's the only way to know the peace that surpasses understanding. That's the peace with God, the peace of God. Now, hey, before I move on, here's what happens. When I make peace with God by accepting the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, we call that becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, stepping across the faith line, being born again. I mean, you could call it a lot of different things. When I follow Jesus, I have peace with God. Now, when I have peace with God, one of the benefits I get is the peace of God. So when I'm walking in the Spirit, I begin to experience the peace of God of God that means I'm okay with myself regardless of what's happening on the outside so you may look at my life and say good night everything's falling apart but I'm okay because I've got the peace of God and once I'm okay with myself guess what that equips me to do I I can get right with others you're never going to get right with others if if you're not first right with yourself. And you'll, and you'll never get right with yourself until you've made peace with God. I come in contact with sometimes with folks and they'll say, man, that's just a miserable person. And often I wonder, are they? They may be. They may need to have peace with God. But are, are you just miserable? And so you're seeing everything through that filter. And because you're miserable, everybody else looks miserable to you. And that takes us to this last thing. When Jesus rules your heart, you can have peace with other people. This is the external peace, our relational peace. And again, that first thing I'm saying, peace with God, that applies if you've never begun a relationship with Christ. The peace of God applies to those of us who have a relationship with Christ. That's what we long for. That's what we want to walk in and experience. And we do that by walking in the Spirit. Peace with others, again, that can only come if you have a relationship with Christ. I really believe that. In fact, I, I teach that every time I do premarital counseling. There's a number of couples in here that I, I've counseled. And, and so you know this. We draw a triangle. And at the top of that triangle, I put Jesus. And then you've got the husband and the wife at either side. And the goal is that they climb toward Jesus. They each pursue Jesus. And the closer they get to Jesus, the closer they are to one another. But in a relationship, if, if one of you is not pursuing Jesus, it's, it's probably going to have an impact on your relationship with one another. Because the further we get from God, the harder it is to live with other people. Because we're not at peace with ourselves. 
Now, what does the Bible say we should do? Well, Romans 12, 18 says, do all you can to live at peace with everyone, to live in peace with everyone. Are you doing that? Because I know, man, I've been at this long enough. I know there's a lot of strained relationships that are represented in a crowd like this. Are you doing everything you can do? You, you can't do what you can't do. You can't control another person. You can't make another person be at peace with you. But are you doing everything you can do by the grace of God? That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians in, in chapter uh, 5 and verse 18 when he talks about the gift of God who brought us back to himself through Christ and he's given us the task of reconciling people to him. We are to be ministers or what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians ambassadors of reconciliation. Jesus talked about it another way. Jesus said, let me see if you know this, blessed are the peacemakers. Notice he didn't say just the peaceable. Because you can just mind your own business, and you might be peaceable. He didn't say, blessed are the peaceful. Because you can be okay with you and not make an effort to be all right with others. He doesn't even say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Because sometimes a peacekeeper might just hate conflict so much that they don't even live in truth. They don't live in reality. And, and they don't stand up for what's right just because they want to keep peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who understand that the source of peace is Jesus. So they live their life in such a way to make sure that those around them, that they've done everything they can to live at peace. Why? Because Peace with God should give us the peace of God. And when we possess the peace of God, we should have peace with others. Why? Because Scripture teaches us that the source of peace is not a pill or a program or a philosophy, but the source of peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. So I would just ask you, I would ask you today, do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, you know peace. There's no reason, if you've got a relationship with Jesus, listen church, there's no reason not to walk in peace. If you're not walking in peace, please at least consider the possibility that you may not know my Jesus. You may know facts about him, you may have be able to tell a Sunday school story, you may have intellectual assent that he's real, but you've never trusted that he did everything necessary to provide for your salvation and to give you peace. Are you allowing him to rule your heart? Are you resting in his peace? Is he ruling over the relationships in your life? Really? I mean, is he? Or are you trying to control the relationships? Are you trying to make somebody else better? Something you don't even have the ability to do. Are you letting him rule that? Here, I want to be clear, and I try to do this on a regular basis. I've had times where I wrestled with this, but I've always come to the complete confidence that when I was a seven-year-old child, I understood what Jesus had done for me. I trusted in him. He forgave my sin, and I became his child, and I've had peace with God. But I've struggled throughout life. So that's over 40 years since that time. I've struggled sometimes to have peace of God, sometimes to have peace with others. 
And here's what I decide. Here's where I land. Because really when you come to the end of a message of, of scriptural teaching, that's what you decide. What am I going to do? Where do I land? Here's where I land. I land where Micah landed near the end of this book that he wrote. It's in Micah 7 and, and verse 7. Listen to what he says. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. That's where I'm asking you to land. Matter of fact, I'm asking you to say that. For, I want you to say that with me. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. Let's say that together. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me. And my God, oh, church, my God will certainly hear me. You're not going to cry out to God and him say, sorry, I'm busy with another patient. It just doesn't happen. As for me, regardless of the circumstances, I look to the Lord for help. And that's what my sweet friend Jenna has done through some pretty sorry circumstances of life. I want you to hear her story. So I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was about seven years old. And that moment that I accepted him, I knew that I needed his grace and I know that I would never be able to get through anything on my own. But being only seven years old, I hadn't gone through anything. And that would quickly change in the years ahead. When I was 16, um, my mom made the decision to file for divorce with my dad and he was not um, emotionally stable. He was very, he was not a safe man. And we had to be taken from our home in the middle of the night. It was my dad, like that was supposed to be a safe person for me. And we were in immediate danger from him. When I woke up the next morning, um, my dad had make, made the decision to take his life. And though he wasn't successful, um, God removed him from my life. Just taking my dad out of my life was something very hard, but it was also very necessary. I've learned to depend on God as my father. He is my perfect father who will never hurt me. He'll never leave me and he'll never abandon me. And I've had so much more peace um, depending on God as my father. Uh, November of 2020, my best friend and my Ita both found out their cancer was back on the same day. And a few months later, Maita would pass. And um, I was so mad. So while she wasn't my family, she chose me. And she was able to open up her home to me. And she was a woman of the Lord. And she was my role model. Even when she was weak with cancer, um, she worshiped the Lord. And there was so much goodness about the Lord that she was able to praise. And. When my Ita passed just a few months later, um, after getting her prognosis, Genesis was given a prognosis of, you have six weeks to live. And I just broke down and I was like, God, why are you taking everyone from me? And looking back on that moment where I was just on my knees, I was crying, um, the Lord still said, I'm here. And he's not gonna leave me. 
So for as much as I've gone through, it's given me the ability to help minister to others in several different ways, whether it's through loss, whether having that common grief, um, telling people that, you know, it, while the pain is still there, having that hope in the Lord will give you that joy. It'll give you that strength. God will meet you in those moments where you have absolutely nothing left. One thing that God has definitely taught me even amidst my grief, whether it's grieving someone, grieving my health, grieving my best friend's health, you can still worship when you have nothing left. Um, when grief presses you to the dust, worship there. And just bringing that worship in, it can calm you, it can just settle whatever storm it is that you're going through. Will you give God praise for the peace that he's given to Jenna? I love what Jenna said at the end there. When, when grief presses you into the dust, you can worship there. Why is that? I think I know. The scripture repeatedly tells us when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we make ourselves lower, He will lift us up. Do you know why he does that? Because when we get to the end of our rope, when we get to the bottom of the barrel, when we think we can't go on and there's nothing else we can do, then we're at the appropriate place at the feet of Jesus. And I've learned, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you grew up like I did with great parents or you had a difficult upbringing, whether you came out of a Christian culture or another culture, once you get down to the feet of Jesus, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So what about you? Where do you need peace? Is it in a relationship? Maybe with a spouse or a friend or a co-worker? Maybe even be with somebody you go to church with, an ex. Maybe it's just you're overwhelmed. I meet people and they say, I'm overwhelmed by just the negativity and the bickering and the division in the world. And Lord knows, you, you turn on a lot of TV and it just escalates that. Maybe you need peace with God. And if that's the case, I, I believe that the God of the universe, the God that knew 700 years, when Micah wrote those words, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that God knew exactly where Jesus would be born. And he knew that you would be here today. And he knew that you would hear about the source of peace. And he knew that you would have the opportunity to receive him today. So what are you going to do? You know, Jesus, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I want you to be honest in this moment. How many of you would say, Pastor Paul, there's no question in my mind. There's no doubt in this moment 
I have a relationship with Jesus. If, if life ended today, I'm not going to be separated from him. I'm going to spend forever in heaven. There's no doubt in my mind. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Just lift your hand up and put it down. Like I thought, that's a lot of us. It's most of us. Now, if you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, I just want you to begin to ask why. Okay? There's a, a, at least a good possibility, right, that you've never yielded control of your heart to the ruler, King Jesus. So if that's the case, let me make sure one more time that you understand. Like me, when you were born, you were separated from God by your sin. If that's not dealt with, if Jesus doesn't become the ruler of your heart, you will stay separated from God and you'll spend forever separated from him. He doesn't want that. That's why that most famous verse in the Bible that probably somebody held up at the World Cup today that said, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Your hope is not found in coming to church. It's not based in something you do or did at church. It's not based on your good deeds. Remember what we learned from Scripture. It's because of what Christ has done. And so if you've never truly yielded your heart and said, Jesus, I get it. I want you to come in and take control. That's what I want to invite you to do. And, and what we believe, here's the great news. You don't need a pastor or a priest. You don't need somebody else to do that for you. That's not what I do. In fact, I can't do that. But I can help you pray. Sometimes we just don't know how to get our words together. I feel that way sometimes. So if you need to do that, stay with me. Maybe you'd pray this prayer to God right now. So think about it. Do you need to do that? If you need to do that, I want you to pray this prayer. Just you and God. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I need peace. I don't think you've ever truly ruled in my heart. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. And I believe you came to give me peace. So I receive your forgiveness. Come in and rule today. I'm going to follow you. I tell him thank you. Our heads are still bowed and I would ask you still, please... Please honor my desire just for privacy. Our eyes are closed. But I really sense probably there are some in this room that sincerely just prayed that prayer with me, beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do what I asked everybody else to do a moment ago. If you just prayed that prayer and you would say, Hey, Pastor, I've asked Jesus to rule in my heart and life today. From now on, if that's you, would you just lift up your hand wherever you're sitting right now? That's great. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Others of you, just lift it up high. I just want to, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I just want to welcome you to God's family. Right here, welcome to God's family. Anybody else? Welcome to God's family back there, young lady. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Everybody else, our eyes are still closed. 
if you just prayed that prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not, would you just look up with me? I'm going to try to make eye contact with you. You just ask Jesus to rule in your heart. That's awesome. Others of you, you just ask Jesus to take that rule in your heart. That's awesome. You just ask Jesus back there to take that rule in your heart. That's awesome. Others of you, you've made that decision to ask Jesus to rule in your heart. I see you right through there. You ask Jesus to rule in your heart. That's awesome. Right now, pastors from our church are beginning to stand here. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that does take a little boldness. When we begin to sing in just a moment, I just want you to tell somebody. You're not joining anything. I want you just to tell one of our pastors. Because God has worked the greatest miracle that he can do. You just come down and say, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to rule. They just want to make sure you understand. And if you need it, we want to make sure you have a copy of God's word, the Bible, before you leave today. Jesus, I thank you because you are answering our prayers. You're changing lives today. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, everybody has a response when we teach and preach God's word. What are you going to do? So what if you are struggling with that peace of God? Again, our, our pastors are standing here. I'll be down here in just a moment. We would love to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to come and kneel and pray here and kind of make this a, a public altar today where you just pray before God and say, I want your peace, God. I've got peace with you. I just want the peace of you in my life. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship. A lot of folks in last services needed to pray over relational peace. And same thing, our pastors will be here, but you don't need us. You can just come and take that to the Lord and say, God, I, I, put, I, I put this relationship in the dust. I put it at the feet of Jesus. All right, but there's something else we're going to do today. Because I love so much what Jenna had to say. Sometimes grief can rob us of peace if we're not careful. And that's especially true at this time of year. This is a hard time of year for a lot of people. And, and maybe you're like me. For me, I, I'm so blessed. I recognize that. But two and a half years ago, I did lose my dad, who was one of my best friends and my hero. Man, at this time of the year, I really miss him. And so we're going to give you a chance to do what I'm going to start us out by doing. These candles, they represent us a way just to, to thank God for those who've impacted our life. And to say, yes, Lord, we, we remember them in this moment. Let me tell you what this is not, because there are some other faith traditions you may have come from. This is not lighting a candle saying you're praying to them or praying for them. It's, that's too late. We don't do that. But it is saying before the Lord. I'm so thankful for the memories you gave me. And I pray that I would have peace even in the midst of grief because you're the source of peace, Jesus. You got it? So there's all kinds of ways you respond. So those of you, let's go back to the very beginning. Those of you who raised your hand or you looked at me and you said you began that relationship with Christ, you don't have to feel awkward because there's going to be a lot of people coming for different reasons. You just come, you see the pastors are already standing here and you... You just share what you've done in your life, okay? Father, use this time. Spirit, move Jesus for your glory. In your name I pray, amen.